You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, I hope so. In the middle with you once again, live right here on Pacifica Radios, KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast, and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, on Liberal Justice Radio, and now available on iTunes. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, even with food poisoning, says me from bradblog.com. Yes, you've heard of us uh, 10 years in the making now, bradblog.com. We just celebrated our, or we are currently this month celebrating our 10th anniversary, a decade of troublemaking, muckraking, and uh, investigative blogging and journalism, and of course, broadcasting right here on KPFK. And if I'm a little bit out of it today, if I sound a little bit dizzy, dizzier than usual, uh, there's a reason for it. Uh, we we had just at the beginning of the week announced our big 10th anniversary, our decade of blogging at bradblog.com, which I hope you'll come by and, and help us celebrate. Um, very exciting. Lots of things planned, looking back over the last 10 years, and uh, I, I made the mistake of taking a break on on Sunday, really, to cash in some tickets a friend of mine had given me some time ago to go to an amusement park and I'm not going to I'm not going to name the amusement park cuz I think that would be wrong des we won't name the amusement park here but it was you know cuz there's a lot of them out here in Los Angeles right. so it, it could have been any one of them yes uh take the day off go enjoy ourselves and you know what? Uh, we did. We had a nice time. But by the time I got home, actually, in the middle of the night, woke up, didn't know what was going on. It turns out it was food poisoning. Really bad yeah. case of food bad poisoning. Yeah, bad case of food poisoning. Now, I don't want to say, again, which park it was that gave me food poisoning because, of course, you know, we don't know for sure that they gave it to me, at least not on purpose. But we'll just say that I had been feeling uh, sort of goofy over the you know the last few days, because of this food poisoning that I received at this, at this uh, at this theme park that I won't name, but you know suffice to say it felt like someone had really slipped me a Mickey. That's all I'm gonna <laughs> say. You know, uh, lying in bed there for the last 48 hours, I was not in the happiest place on earth. Let me just say that, okay? Yeah. So, but I don't want to say you know I don't want to point any fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But, you know, when, when, when your theme park is run by a mouse, you kind of have to ex- expect that people are going to get food poisoning. That's all I'm saying. There you go. All right. That's out of the way. And it's the first time I've been uh, out uh, in the light of day for the past two days, so you'll have to pardon me. But anyway, uh, happy birthday to us. Uh, and by the way, thanks to those who have who have sent their uh, uh, their kind wishes via the Twitters. You can reach me at the Brad blog, of course, and elsewhere. Uh, my thanks to our friends over at Truth Dig who ran a nice piece on uh, on the Brad blog and our 10th anniversary yesterday. So uh, thank you, uh, Peter Shear and Truth Dig, uh, who are also heard here on KPFK every now and again. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to some actual substance here. As long as I'm sitting up, uh, last night, of course, it was the uh, the Super Bowl of politics. Well, maybe not the Super Bowl. Maybe it was the Pro Bowl uh, of politics. Well, maybe it was the American Idol of uh, of politics. The State of the Union. Now, never mind the shockingly controversial presidential pronouncements that America must move off a permanent war footing or that steps must be taken to boost the entire uh, the entire economy by raising the minimum wage so that full-time workers don't sink farther and farther below the poverty line. Both uh, points, by the way, that the vast majority of Americans of all parties agree on. Uh, the president said wherever he can take steps without legislation, that's what he's going to do, because one party in Congress, namely the Republicans, are so crazy and so loony, he can't get anything done. Uh, and that is, for the most part, true. I will talk a little bit more later about those loony Republicans. But I want to focus for a moment on at least the one part of the speech that, uh, as usual, is not getting the attention that it deserves, uh, even though it represents, in my opinion, the greatest existential threat that humanity faces today. It doesn't get the attention, no doubt, in no small part, thanks to the very successful, ongoing, massive propaganda campaign that continues to be waged against it, and it has been for decades. I'm talking, of course, about the environmental issues concerning the impact of global warming and uh, thanks to the propaganda campaign by the fossil fuel industry. We have the need for a president of the United States in a major speech to embarrassingly have to say that climate change is real. Here was Barack Obama in this week's State of the Union. Over the past eight years, the United States has reduced our total carbon pollution more than any other nation on Earth. But we have to act with more urgency. Because the changing climate is already harming Western communities struggling with drought and coastal cities dealing with floods. The shift to a cleaner energy economy won't happen overnight, and it will require some tough choices along the way. But the debate is settled. Climate change is a fact. And when our children's children look us in the eye and ask if we did all we could to leave them a safer, more stable world with new sources of energy, I want us to be able to say, yes, we did. The debate is settled. Climate change is a fact. The fact that uh, the president of the United States has to say that at all, to me, remains stunning. Let's see if Joe Rome agrees with me. Joe Rome is a fellow at the America at uh, American Progress. He's the editor and founder of Climate Progress, which New York Times columnist Tom Friedman calls the indispensable blog. But please don't hold that again. Let's change it. Let's fix that. Brad Friedman calls it an indispensable blog. And Time Magazine uh, named Climate Progress one of the 25 best blogs of 2010. Brad Friedman says it's one of the best blogs of 2014. 
Time named him an environment and hero of the environment and the web's most influential climate change blogger. Joe Rome was also acting assistant secretary of energy for uh, energy for energy efficiency and renewable energy in 1997, where he oversaw one billion dollars in R&D demonstration and deployment of low carbon technology. He is now a senior fellow at American Progress, holds a Ph.D. in physics from MIT. He's the author of Language Intelligence, Lessons on Persuasion from Jesus, Shakespeare, Lincoln and Lady Gaga. He's also now the chief science editor for the new Showtime television series, Years of Living Dangerously, Joe Rome. Welcome back, sir, to the broadcast. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I hope you're doing uh, better than I. We, we we spoke last time, Joe. It was, I looked it up, it was about uh, almost exactly a year ago. It was just after... Uh, Obama's second inaugural uh, inaugural address in January 2013. He devoted more time to environmental issues than anything else in that speech. It was an extremely good sign, it seemed like, uh, since he said he couldn't approve Keystone XL if it substantially increased carbon emissions. I should say that's the Keystone XL pipeline. I think you and I were both sort of positive about things going forward. So, at that point, so before we get to the State of the Union this week, uh, Joe Rome, did the year pan out as positively as you had hoped uh, following his uh, second inaugural address in 2013? Uh, well, I'm <clears throat> I'm sure if you're Barack Obama, the answer would be no. Uh, obviously, a lot of things haven't uh, panned out uh, particularly well for the president. I, I do think that. You know, he, as in, as in the uh, State of the Union, he, he keeps trying to do two things at once, which is, you know, push fossil fuel production uh, domestically while, you know, uh, talking a pretty good game on climate and, and, and working up uh, EPA standards on, on carbon pollution for power plants, uh, which he continues to, to move forward on and, uh, and, and are consequential. Well, so it, it was sort of a split, uh, a split verdict seems to be what you're saying. And, and that's how you wrote about it uh, last night after the State of the Union address. You described the Jekyll and Hyde strategy, the two sides of Obama's energy strategy. So, uh, Joe Rome, which uh, which one did we see last night in the State of the Union? Was it uh, was it Jekyll or Mr. Let's see, Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? Well, he uh, he uh, he switched back and forth. He certainly you know, as you played, uh, very strong statements on climate, and, and I, I expect uh, that he will move forward with with aggressive actions uh, done through the Environmental Protection Agency and the executive branch, uh, and he can certainly do some real things there. Uh, but he just loves to tout gas and oil production and, and his uh, all-of-the-above energy strategy, uh, which back you know, several years ago, it was the conservatives who yeah. touted an all-the-above energy strategy, right. and, and I, I used to mock them for that on climate progress, because you would think that all-the-above means that we're not actually using our judgment to figure out if some of the above are better than others of the <laughs> right. above. Right. Um, uh, we do actually know the answer to that question. We know we know that some of the above, when you burn them, uh, produce uh, you know carbon pollution, greenhouse gases that that heat the planet, and and we actually have to have a lot lower emissions 
in the coming decades, not not more emissions. So, you know, and uh, but you know, the president went on about touting oil production and gas production, uh, and he did this in spite of the fact, and maybe you reported on this uh, uh, this letter that came out from all of the leading environmental mm-hmm. organizations last uh, week. Uh, you know, Sierra Club, NRDC, EDF, Friends of the Earth, groups that don't always agree, all of them said, you know, that all the above energy strategy is, is fundamentally at odds with cutting carbon pollution and is, quote, wrong for America. So uh, I, I was a little surprised that, that the president continued with that, with that rhetoric. It, it, uh, it's just, uh, it's, Jekyll and Hyde, it's split personality. It, it really is. Apparently, he didn't get the message of that letter. Let me, uh, since I played the the uh, strong clip of him saying uh, climate change is is a fact, uh, let me play the other side. I guess this is the Dr. Jekyll side. No, or, no, 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 this is the Mr. Mr. You're, you're right, the Mr. Hyde side uh, from that same uh, State of the Union address. The all the above energy strategy I announced a few years ago is working. And today, America is closer to energy independence than we have been in decades. One of the reasons why is natural gas. If extracted safely, it's the bridge fuel that can power our economy with less of the carbon pollution that causes climate change. And this Congress can help by putting people to work building fueling stations that shift more cars and trucks from foreign oil to American natural gas. Meanwhile, my administration will keep working with the industry to sustain production and jobs growth while strengthening protection of our air, our water, our communities. And while we're at it, I'll use my authority to protect more of our pristine federal lands for future generations. It's not just oil and natural gas production that's booming. We're becoming a global leader in solar, too. Oh, yeah, solar. There's that. Uh, Joe Rome, he says one of the reasons why uh, that we have more energy independence than we have in decades is uh, is because of natural gas. And then he adds, if extracted safely. Uh, that's a pretty big if, Joe. Uh, c- uh, can natural gas be extracted safely? Is that even possible? And, and I, what he's talking about really there is fracking. Uh, for the most part, can we have safe fracking in this country with the technology that we currently have? Well, you know, as you say, it is. It is if, if extracted safely, is is covers a multitude of sins, and so far the answer, based on the science and the actual observations, is that we can't extract it safely. And and I'm not even you know the expert on uh, the water pollution issues and all that. I mm-hmm. just tend to focus on the climate impacts and the latest... Uh, Never mind the, uh, the the earthquakes and the sinkholes. Yeah, you're just talking... The earthquakes, yeah. absolutely. The, if you re, the reinjection of the fluids uh, causes earthquakes. I don't right. think there's any question about that. Um, the, the staggering amounts of water, I mean, millions of gallons of water per uh, fracked well, uh, which is unlike water that's used for other uses like cooling this water is the vast majority of it is permanently ruined and rendered unfit for human consumption and has to be reinjected deep underground that's what causes the earthquakes um, but even if we set aside all of that which obviously if you live nearby 
uh, a fract well, you wouldn't want to set that aside. Um, but even if you set that aside, the, the, there's a very key question, which is that natural gas is, is primarily made up of methane, and methane is a very potent greenhouse gas. Um, it is literally uh, 80, 90, 100 times more potent than carbon dioxide in trapping heat over a 20-year period. So um, you don't want to, if you leak very much natural gas, uh, then you kind of squander the benefit of switching from coal power to natural gas power. And the latest research uh, says that, we, that, that indeed it, uh, the whole process of, of extracting natural gas uh, does uh, uh, release a, a tremendous amount uh, into the environment and calls into question whether it's any better uh, on, on the whole than, than coal power and and uh, you know I the president can put in his little caveat if extracted safely but a there's no evidence that we're extracting it safely and he has yet to put forward regulations that would require it to be extracted mm-hmm. safely yeah so that does make it a big if and I should uh, well, I want to clarify I want to underscore that point. Uh, you're talking about the methane leaks that occur just in the process of fracking, just in the process of getting at that natural gas, not even in the uh, the process of burning it, but the leaks that occur, the burn-off that occurs in the process of extracting it from the ground. Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, after all, what you're doing with, with fracking, hydraulic fracturing, is injecting a staggering amount of liquid, some of which are unknown or unidentified toxic chemicals, but you're injecting this staggering amount of of liquid, mostly water, um, underground in order to kind of squeak, fracture the earth and 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 get the natural gas to come out. And as you can imagine, it doesn't all come out exactly where you're hoping. You know, obviously the vast majority of it does. But the point is that very low leakage rates. I mean, literally, a leakage rate of 3% is enough to, to start to completely undermine the benefit of, of using natural gas over coal. And most of the independent analyses that have been done have suggested that, that uh, there are lots of places where the leakage rate is 4% or 7% or even higher. Uh, in his uh, in his inaugural address uh, in in 2013, he spoke about uh, the Keystone XL pipeline specifically that they were looking to make sure that it does not. I believe the words were substantially increase carbon output. And, and correct me if I'm wrong on that wording, but I think it was something like that. Uh, he didn't mention. Keystone XL last night at all in the State of the Union uh, speech. I'm going to take that actually as a good thing, and I don't have any real reason to take it that way. I just need to take some kind of good news out of this. So what, what do you think, uh, Joe Rome, of uh, climate progress? A- am I wrong? Is, is the fact that he did not bring up that hot potato in the uh, State of the Union address, is that, a, is that a good sign or a bad sign if we're, if we're going to be reading some tea leaves here? Um, it is hard to say. Uh, I mean, there's no question that his earlier remarks that you quoted led a lot of people, including me, to think, uh, uh, and, and, and people who watched the White House, to think that, 
that that he was leaning against uh, uh, Keystone uh, because why br- why bring up the climate impact of Keystone at all if you were planning to approve it? Um, you know, does the fact that he didn't mention it in a State of the Union mean anything? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it, he, he clearly has on his team. Uh, you know, all the way up to the head of the State Department, John Kerry, who, you know, sort of has to make the initial decision, people who are real climate hawks and who understand that Keystone would, in fact, substantially increase uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, I mean, it's only in a world where we don't take action on climate change that Keystone doesn't make things worse. But it's like saying, if we're not going to deal with the problem, then we shouldn't worry about Keystone. And I, I would agree with that assessment. But since we need to do something about the problem, we have to leave large pools of dirty carbon underground. And if you were going to list um, the, you know, the biggest pools of dirty carbon that need to be left in the ground, obviously the Canadian tar sands would be near the top of that list. So uh, I don't see how it is possible to reconcile his statement last night, um, you know, when our children's children look us in the eye and ask us if we, uh, if we did all we could to leave them a safer, more stable world mm-hmm. with new sources of energy, I want us to be able to say yes. Now, I mean, the man said, did all we could. Right. Well, he can, he can stop Keystone. So, you know, I don't see how you can reconcile that statement well, with approving Keystone. Well, yeah, and that's uh, sort of what I wanted to ask you, because, you know, we're talking about his, uh, the president's Jekyll Hyde personality on, on this issue, and, and actually on a lot of issues. Um, you know, I think he is sort of forced to come out and 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 pre-butt the criticisms in, in all sorts of issues uh, in a way that I think most presidents would not, in a way for example, that I think a uh, and I don't expect you to agree or disagree here, but a, a twice popularly elected white president would not have to do, would not have to come out and get out in front of an issue and say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with that all of the above energy thing. Um, you know, so let's do that and let's do this. So I think there's a lot of, uh, of twisting and turning that this president has to do. But uh, my question is beyond that, does he get it? Does he understand the problem, as far as you can tell, as far as your sources, as far as the people that you know in the White House, does he really understand the dangers that are there, you know, in doing something like approving the Keystone XL pipeline? Putting aside whatever political reality you want to imagine, does he understand, really understand the dangers that scientists are trying to uh, yell and scream about that they have their hair on fire about now for so many years? Um, I used to have my hair on fire, but now I just don't have any hair. <laughs> good, good plan. I should consider that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I've definitely heard that, that he does get it. Um, I, I, I think he, he certainly, if you look back at every speech he's delivered, he, he clearly, o- over the last five years, you know, he's made some very strong statements. Um, obviously, many of us were disappointed that he did not pursue a climate bill uh, more aggressively or, for, in matter, for that matter, talk about climate change uh, more than he has. 
Um, he has now surrounded himself, you know, with with a chief of staff who is concerned about climate change. He's, he brought on John Podesta, who used to who founded the organization that I I work at, mm-hmm. um, and is someone who cares very deeply and is exceedingly knowledgeable about climate change. And and of course, he has John Kerry at state. So, uh, and he's got Ernie Moniz. Uh, at the Department of Energy, and he has John Holdren, uh, the chief science advisor, uh, who is very knowledgeable uh, and, and understands uh, the, the hair on fire issue. So he has the people who, uh, who understand the issue, absolutely. So even if he doesn't get it, they do, is, sounds like what you're saying. Yes. I mean, I, if you want my honest opinion, I think that for his first term, he, uh, you know, when, in their first term, presidents care about one thing only, really, mm-hmm. and that is getting re-elected, re-elected yeah. uh, and, and not doing things that will hurt their chances. And, you know, he had people like Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrod who, who were not climate people at all and who thought it was a losing issue. And, you know, I think... Uh, that explains a lot of the poor messaging and, and general inaction in the first term. Uh, now uh, there are better people around him. Uh, the proof will be in Keystone XL. I mean, I, I, for me, and I think for most of the climate and environmental community, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, it's kind of black and white. Either if, if he approves Keystone, then... Uh, the answer to your question will be no, he doesn't get it. Right. Uh, and you sort of preempted uh, one of my questions here. I would be remiss uh, if I didn't ask you about your old uh, your old boss, I guess, John Podesta, who has now joined the administration. I think he's uh, deputy chief of staff or something along he's those lines. White House counsel. White House, uh, right. Or, you know, Senior advisor, yeah. Senior advisor, and uh, yet they they went out of their way to make a statement right off the bat that John Podesta will have no input in the uh, in the in the Keystone XL pipeline decision. What do we make of that? Is that again, uh, you know, trying to get out in front of the issue, saying, "Oh, we're not going to have John Podesta because his his opinions on this are, are well known, and and so we want to be quote fair and balanced about this, so we won't have a guy with an opinion give us input on this issue." Is is that what it's about? Do, can you give us any insight there, Joe? I do not have any special insight. I, I certainly, you know, uh, ha- have worked uh, uh, with with John Podesta. Uh, for uh, the last several years. Um, and as I said, one of the most knowledgeable uh, people on both climate change and energy. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's hard to find someone who is more passionate about the dangers of climate change than John Kerry. Right. So, you know, you already have the person running the State Department that you would like running the State Department. State Department is, is the organization that, that has to make the, the decision, and, and it's inconceivable to me uh, that, that Obama would overrule John Kerry, whatever John Kerry decided. That, I, I can't see that. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think people should be optimistic that the president is going to do what he says he's going to do on uh, EPA standards to regulate carbon pollution from power plants. And that is a big deal. Uh, and I think they will endeavor to use the, the executive uh, authority to 
continue the purchase of clean energy uh, at federal agencies and the like. Um, you know, uh, uh, executive authority, you, of course, mean lawless imperialism, uh, if you listen to the Republicans uh, tell it last night. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Joe, Rome, before I let you go, uh, I know that uh, Showtime's Years of Living Dangerously, for which you are serving as the chief science editor, uh, premieres very soon. And I actually spoke with them some months ago. They they wanted some audio from uh, my report uh, on uh, on the Koch brothers some secret audio tape that I was able to obtain and release. Uh, and, and I'm not actually sure which part they wanted, on the Koch brothers or on Chris Christie. But uh, when does Years of Living Dangerously premiere, and what can you tell us about it very quickly in the uh, minute or so that we have left? Uh, well, Years of Living Dangerously is going to premiere in mid, uh, in, on April 13th, uh, Sunday night at 10 o'clock on Showtime. Your, your listeners should get Showtime. Um, it is being executive produced by James Cameron and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Never heard of uh, him, Joe. Never and, heard of him. And Jerry Weintraub and uh, <laughs> uh, a, a, a few, three former 60 Minutes producers whom I've gotten to know Uh-oh. and just really admire. They have 18 Emmys between them, uh, Joel Bach, David Gelber, and Solly Granitstein. And it's very high-quality stuff. I mean, I think people are going to be blown away. We have Tom Friedman going to Syria to actually going to Syria to report on how the drought made the the uprising there uh, much more likely and we have Arnold Schwarzenegger joining a hotshot wildfire fighting team in Colorado Uh, so we have very different stuff than people have ever seen on TV and and I think people are really going to be blown away by it. I've seen a lot of stuff, and I was blown away by it. Okay, I hope you're right. I always get uh, these days, I get a little uh, nervous when I hear 60 Minutes, given uh, the effect of Fox News and David Rhodes, their uh, Fox News former vice president, now in charge of CBS News, but let's hope that those people well, these are... these are former. These are the oh, former. Guys, okay. Former 60 Minutes producers. I should have been clear on oh, that. Oh, good. Okay. They're all they all left a, a couple of years ago. That speaks well of them. Glad to hear it, Joe Rome. We're going to look forward to that very much, actually. It looks very exciting. Years of Living Dangerously on Showtime beginning April 13th. Uh, we're speaking with John, uh, Joe Rome from the Center for American Progress's indispensable blog, says Tom Friedman, no relation, and Brad Friedman. We both say that about climateprogress.org. Joe, great to talk to you. Uh, We'll talk to you exactly one year from now. We'll have this discussion all over again as we still try to figure out whether he's going to approve the Keystone XL pipeline in January 2015. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for having me, Brad. You bet. Thanks, Joe. Always great talking to you. Much appreciated.
Yes, who are you, Mr. President? I'd really like to know. Some Republicans have some opinions about who you are. However, we're going to take a quick break and come back with some of those opinions and yet another answer as to why elections matter. As long as my food poisoning doesn't get any worse. You're listening to Brad Friedman on the Bradcast on KPFK. Stay tuned. I'm Ian Masters, the host of Background Briefing, a daily news analysis program heard Mondays through Thursdays at 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 11 a.m. We look into the important stories and issues in the news with the most knowledgeable specialists as well as the best informed observers closest to the scene to provide you with an in-depth background briefing that has context, history, nuance and details. Get your background briefing Mondays through Thursdays at 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 11 a.m. here at KPFK. An African-American family in Chicago gets an insurance windfall and decides to move to a better neighborhood. Mama, there ain't no colored people living in Clyburn Park. Well, there's going to be some there now. Judy Ann Elder, Rutina Wesley, and Corey Hawkins star in the landmark play A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. Next time on L.A. Theatre Works. Thursday evenings at 7 on Southern California Pacifica Radio, KPFK. Welcome back. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. The decade-old bradblog.com, established January 24, 2004. Ten years later, uh, still uh, raking the muck and uh, making trouble. And uh, happy to do it. Glad you could join us here. My uh, Twitter uh, address is the Bradblog. Of course, you can find me at bradblog.com. Uh, the State of the Union address, Barack Obama made this extraordinarily controversial, apparently, extraordinarily uh, controversial statement during his State of the Union address. What I offer tonight is a set of concrete, practical proposals to speed up growth, strengthen the middle class, and build new ladders of opportunity into the middle class. Some require congressional action. And I'm eager to work with all of you. But America does not stand still, and neither will I. So wherever and whenever I can take steps without legislation to expand opportunity for more American families, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, shocking. Shocking. Wherever and whenever I can take steps without legislation to expand opportunity for more American families, that's what I'm going to do. Shocking. Uh, he's going to use his executive authority. He's going to use his constitutional uh, authority, his lawfully granted authority to do things like, uh, oh, issue executive orders, executive actions like, you know, convening meetings and uh, seeing what can be approved where. Uh, I guess I, I guess the most shocking, the most stunning, the most dictatorial, fascist, socialist, imperialistic 
whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, decree is that he's going to raise the minimum wage for federal workers so that uh, people, for example, that uh, do the laundry and cook meals for our troops can be lifted out of poverty. I know that's shocking and dictatorial. And if you listened last night to the Republicans in the House and if you read their Twitter feeds, of course, uh, you would have seen that that's what the Republicans felt, that he, he was a king. He's a dictator. It was it was absolutely remarkable walk, uh, watching what was going on last night on the Twitters. We should get we should be used to it by now. Uh, going back to Joe Wilson and the you lie moment from what was that his first uh, his first day of the union I think back in 2009 or 2010 whenever that was uh, but uh, last night during this uh, actually before the speech even began Texas Congressman Randy Weber tweeted out that he was listening to the uh, how did he describe him the I got to get this exactly right uh, the commandant in chef. I think he meant Commandant-in-Chief. He spelled it Chef. He spelled Commandant with a K. Maybe that's right. I don't know. The the socialistic dictator, he said, who's been feeding U.S. a line, uh, you know, because he wants to do these outrageous executive actions. So that was Randy Weber of Texas. We thought he was going to win the Rep. Joe Wilson, you lie, jackass of the uh, State of the Union award. But they were just getting started last night. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, after the State of the Union, Congressman Michael Grimm from New York had this uh, this this violent threat that he issued against a uh, New York One reporter, threatened to throw him off this effing balcony because this reporter, Michael Scotto, or Scotto, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, this was all caught on camera. Uh, Scotto was interviewing Grimm, asking him about the speech, and uh, Grimm said, call the speech divisive. Now, never mind the complete detachment from reality. If you saw the speech, it was anything but divisive. I wish it had been more divisive. But it was not. And at the end of this interview, uh, Skoda tried to ask Grimm about some campaign finance issues that had come up. Uh, One of his uh, contributors had recently been charged with uh, using straw donations uh, to exceed the maximum allowable contribution to Grimm's campaign committee. Grimm uh, wanted nothing to do with it. He said, I'm not speaking to you off topic. This is only about the president. He walked off camera. And uh, Skoda said, well, I guess Michael Grimm does not want to talk about these allegations. Uh, And he tossed it back to the studio before he could uh, turn off the before the cameras went off. However, uh, Grimm came back on and started threatening this reporter. I guess he thought the cameras were off. And uh, Grimm is caught on tape saying, let me be clear to you. You ever do that again? I'll throw you off this effing balcony. He said uh, then we could hear him say, no, no, you're not man enough. You're not man enough. I'll break you in half like a boy. That was uh, the Republican Michael Grimm from a congressman from Staten Island, New York. Uh, So he was working uh, on winning that uh, Joe Wilson, you lie, Republican jackass of the State of the Union award last night. And then came 
uh, who I think uh, the guy who I think is the is the hands down uh, winner of the award last night, and it got a lot less notice because he didn't include uh, a threat to throw anybody over a balcony or break them in half like a boy. This was Congressman Tim Hulescamp, the Republican from Kansas. Uh, in an interview uh, with Rachel Maddow, uh, Maddow was uh, brought up the emotional high point at the end of the State of the Union address when the president had introduced Sergeant First Class Corey Remsburg, an Army Ranger uh, who he had met. Uh, the president had met him prior to his 10th deployment, his 10th deployment. Uh, at which time he uh, thereafter uh, was was in an IED uh, accident, an attack, uh, terrible brain injury, terrible brain trauma. And uh, he was the guest of the First Lady last night. And as he was introduced in this very long uh, standing ovation for this guy, uh, Tim Hulskamp, congressman, Republican congressman from Kansas, tweeted, Obama politicizes the military to end his speech. Totally expected, Mr. President. I'm not going to be able to play all of this clip, but this was and we have it at Bradblog.com. I want to play as much as I can. And, gee, be prepared to start and stop here a little bit here, uh, because this this exchange was amazing to me. And it underscores everything. And I mean, everything. That is wrong with our political system right now and and why we're going to have a hell of a time getting anywhere because of guys like Hulescamp. Uh, Rachel asks him about that tweet when he said Obama politicizes the military to end his speech. Totally expected, Mr. President. Congressman, I have to ask you if that was tongue in cheek. Do you really believe that was politicizing the military? We actually uh, invited our own veteran, uh, one that uh, served bravely as well, some tremendous heroes out there, and, and did receive word from the administration when we put a press release out that perhaps we were politicizing that fact. But uh, very brave men, a lot of brave heroes, and uh, it, it's very interesting because the president very clearly ran against the military. Uh, he t- con- continues to highlight them when it helps politically. But at the end of the day, more of the same in the speech, uh, Rachel. Things How are not did the going well. Run against the military. Well, it's pretty clear. He wanted to bring the troops home. He wants to close Gitmo. He wants to do all kinds of things. Uh, but at the end of the day, the focus on the speech <laughs> should have been, how are things working out? Is and, bringing and right the troops, now, they're not working out well. bringing the troops home your definition of being against the military? No. I, what the president talked about when he first ran, obviously, is very different. You know, whether it's his NSA issue, whether it's the issue of how much president uh, uh, should have in terms of authority. I mean, he ran against Bush on all these things, Rachel. It's very clear. And- okay, so what he just did there, Hughes said that he ran against the military. Now, that sort of thing, that works great on Fox News, where you can say the president hates the military. But when you go out into the real world and you talk to a real journalist, a real reporter, at least in this case, Rachel Maddow, because there's a lot of real journalists out there, so-called in the so-called legitimate media, who would let Hughes Camp get away with exactly that. How did Barack Obama run against uh, the military. Well, we don't know exactly until Hulescamp tells us he wants to bring the troops home. He wants to close Guantanamo. Somehow that is running against the military. Are you kidding? Well, apparently Hulescamp wasn't kidding, or he was, but one, but he wasn't used to being called on it, so he's got to change the subject, and that's what he does. 
And all of a sudden, he's all for presidential power now. He's all for the NSA now. He's all for the military now during a speech. But at the end of the day, his policies are failing. And that's why we have 24 million Americans still looking for a full-time job. Congressman Hillskamp, I still don't understand how he ran against the military. I still don't understand if you mean he was politicizing the military by praising that sergeant. I do have to ask you about the thing that you tweeted immediately thereafter. Three minutes later, you said... Was there a diplomat in Benghazi that gave his oh. life for his country, Benghazi! Mr. Benghazi! Are you denying that an American diplomat died in Benghazi? Do you know what happened in Benghazi? The president <laughs> refuses to come clean. Your Hillary Clinton refuses to come clean. They won't tell us oh. what happened. Oh. And a diplomat died. We believe the initial evidence still is because the president or somebody in the White House refused to provide support to defend that diplomat and our Marines on the ground. That's ill reprehensible. I will not accept no answer from that, and that's what we're talking about. We need answers on all Hillskamp, kinds of things, Rachel. Regardless of whether it's irreprehensible, I mean, <laughs> are you questioning whether or not Ambassador Stevens gave his life for his country? Was Rachel, there a diplomat you know, in Benghazi that gave his life for his country? Rachel, you what know you? we're looking for answers. You know this president and Hillary Clinton are hiding the truth on Benghazi. We're just looking for them to come forward, let those uh, folks testify that we're on the ground. Okay. That's the facts of the matter. We're still looking forward to that. And that's a congressional responsibility. It's also a responsibility of Hillary Clinton. Okay. You know, just a few months ago, right. she said, what difference does... Okay, yeah, you, you get the idea. This guy goes on and on. He goes on to call uh, uh, Rachel Maddow a cheerleader, which uh, Rachel does not take well. Uh, you can watch the whole clip at bradblog.com. I play it... Not to uh, necessarily to highlight what a jackass this guy is, but he is. But to point out the fact that Congressman Hulescamp of Kansas was elected in 2010. And he was re-elected despite having these kind of insane ideas, this insane reality. And I have to put the quotes around the words reality. He was re-elected, apparently, in 2012. Now, NBC uh, posted this clip, and they called it uh, his extreme, uh, you know, that, that he gives the extreme side of the GOP. I'm here to argue that's not the extreme side of the GOP. I'm here to argue that is the mainstream of the GOP, period. That's the mainstream now. And that's why elections matter. And, I, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people, uh, you know, who say, Brad, elections don't matter anymore. You always want people to vote. Well, let me make something clear. I don't want people to vote. I don't care if they vote. I, it's up to you. If you want to vote, that's up to you. I will fight for your right to not vote if you don't want to vote. Really, because not voting is also a vote. That said, when and if you don't vote, you allow the guys like Hulescamp to take over the entire Congress. You put this country in a place where you have a president who can do nothing, who can do, well, virtually nothing, but take executive actions because he has a Congress full of crazy people like Tim Hulescamp and Randy Weber and Michael Grimm and all of these lunatics in the mainstream of the Republican Party. So nothing can get done anymore. And for you Democrats out there who think this is good, it ain't. You know, you, you've got a, a fairly lousy health care bill because there was no opposition to it. So you had, you know, the, the Democrats... There was no legitimate opposition to it. So you have the Democrats rushing right to fill this vacuum with a lousy uh, health care bill. 
Now, mind you, that health care bill, as I've said on this show, has saved me $300 a month, $3,600 a year. Uh, it's given uh, so far about 10 million people insurance that didn't otherwise have it. So there are some good things about it. I'm not uh, I, I'm not getting into that issue. But this country works better when you have two at least two parties that are actually going at each other, that are actually fighting for legitimate ideas, not crazy people like Tim Hulescamp. Because what happens is you have a state like Virginia, and we spent a lot of time talking about Virginia over, over these past few months because they had a very close election year, uh, election there last year. The Republicans had been controlling the, uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general's office for years out there in Virginia, had controlled both the, uh, b- both the House and the Senate in the General Assembly. And that all changed with last year's election. A Democrat won uh, for governor, a Democrat won for lieutenant governor, and then we had this incredibly close race for attorney general. And we covered it in great detail here. And uh, we wanted to make sure that every vote was counted as well as it could be counted. The uh, initial difference was 165 votes out of 2.2 million votes cast. It was incredibly close in the end. It was about uh, 800 votes after a recount, or at least what suffices for a recount. In the state of Virginia, where uh, hundreds of thousands of those votes are completely unverifiable. But in the end, after what suffices for a recount, the Democrat won. And after years in Virginia of these lunatic, far right wing, yes, extremist policies that have now become the mainstream, you know, policies like forced vaginal ultrasounds before abortions. Policies that are contrary to what America believes in, like marriage equality. Uh, that's what was going on in Virginia, a rather civilized state, not a Kansas where Tim Hule's camp is from. But they had the same right wing politics. That is that is the mainstream of the uh, Republican Party. It is not the extremists. And elections do make a difference. In the end, Mark Herring, the Democrat, ended up winning that election uh, after that recount. The Democrat, and uh, he was sworn in at the beginning of this year. And uh, immediately we found out why elections make a difference as Mark Herring was interviewed uh, by Lawrence O'Donnell in this case about his decision to not defend the ban on marriage equality in Virginia. We believe that if the Supreme Court of the United States were presented with the facts of this case, that they would find uh, Virginia's ban was unconstitutional and violated uh, the due process and equal protection clauses of the 14th Amendment. There was another choice uh, you could have made here, the more political choice. Just allow the staff to go ahead, just let this case keep going. You stay quiet about it, politically quiet about it, so you don't have to suffer any exposure on it. I got to suggest to you, uh, I believe that most recently elected attorneys general, especially those elected by such a tiny margin as you were, why why have you decided to take this more bold position? Well, you know, it's really not about me. Uh, It's about doing what's right and doing what the voters elected me to do. If I conclude that the law is unconstitutional, then uh, I have an equal duty uh, to not defend a law that is unconstitutional. So there you go. That's the new attorney general of Virginia replacing the right wing loon Ken Cuccinelli. 
understanding what uh, all legitimate progressives and, frankly, all legitimate conservatives understand is that we have equal protection under the law, that you can't uh, ban uh, marriage equality, even though they tried to do that in Virginia. And now you have an attorney general who says, no, I can't defend that ban anymore. In an instant, things changed in Virginia In an instant, hundreds of thousands of people will have access to rights that they should have had for years, thanks to elections. Vote or don't vote. I don't really care. But don't tell me elections don't matter. Elections do matter. Let's do some green news. Stopping the world to melt for Desi Doyen, our producer, my co-host on the Green News Report. Hey, Des. How hey, you doing? how's it going? No food poisoning for you, right? No, I was fine. You're in fine fettle? Yep. Okay. So it wasn't the mouse that got you? <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. I don't want to say, who, you know, it was Disneyland. That's all I'm saying. Okay, let's do some... And by the way, before we do the Green News very quickly, Des, I'm going to want a quick answer from you. Uh, after the Green News, you got six minutes to think it over. Uh, the fact that uh, President Obama did not mention Keystone XL I think in the State of the Union speech, I think that's a good thing. I want you to tell me if I'm wrong when we finish. So you decide. Our latest Green News report. There's a, uh, a crater about uh, 30 feet in diameter. About 10 feet deep. Trans-Canada's natural gas pipeline explodes. There has been an oil spill in the Delaware River in Delaware County. Oil pipeline spills in Philadelphia. Plus... That's our polar vortex. Polar vortex. Polar vortex. It's a polar vortex redux making Alaska warmer than Florida. All of that and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Senators Bernie Sanders and Brian Schatz pushing TV networks to do more climate change stories. Should the government be telling the TV networks what's news? Apparently someone's got to Eric Bowling of Fox News. And you know what? The media is already talking about this. If you turn on MSNBC or CNN, every single day they're talking about global warming. Americans are tired <laughs> of hearing about this. <sighs> this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we are celebrating our 10-year anniversary at bradblog.com this Woo-hoo! week. And uh, to celebrate, I went out and got food poisoning. So I, I will either be way more snarky than usual or way less snarky than usual today. I have no idea what do you have for us today. <laughs> well, first off, it is the return of the polar vortex. Yet another blocking pattern in the jet stream is sending deep Arctic cold into the Midwest and South, pushing deep drought to California and crazy record warmth to Alaska. In Alaska on Sunday night at 10 p.m., parts of Alaska were warmer than all of the continental U.S. except South Florida and Southern California. Got that? In Alaska. And of course, yes, everyone's got that. We see it all the time on CNN 
CNN and MSNBC who do nothing but cover global warming. Right. And it might be nice for Alaskans, except that heat wave is triggering a series of some of the biggest avalanches ever observed in the region, like one that covered 52 miles of road near Valdez, Alaska. Valdez, Alaska. Why does that word uh, ring a bell for me? Because it's the name of the Exxon Valdez, the oil tanker that spilled all over Alaska's pristine Prince William Sound. Ah, yes, the Exxon Valdez. Well, I'm glad we learned our lesson from that 20 years ago and aren't uh, transporting around dangerous oil and natural gas to have that kind of accident again, right? (laughs) No, no, I wish that were true. Oil and gas pipelines and infrastructure are blowing up all over the place. A massive fireball and pipeline rupture burned for hours. Just as temperatures plunged, a natural gas pipeline owned by TransCanada exploded in Manitoba, Canada over the weekend. Oh, it was like being at a a bonfire, but the problem was we're a quarter mile away and it was as hot as that. It was intense heat. That was intense heat from a quarter mile away. No one was hurt, and the cause of the explosion is still under investigation. TransCanada, the owner of that exploded pipeline, is the same pipeline company trying to build the controversial Keystone XL tar sands pipeline across the Midwest. This most recent exploded TransCanada pipeline has not been inspected by the company in over five years. The southern leg of the TransCanada Keystone XL pipeline just opened, and you've got folks in Texas out there doing neighborhood watch to look at the pipeline because they say when these things uh, explode or leak, it's usually people who find it, not the fancy schmancy computer equipment that TransCanada tells us is on their pipeline, so we don't need to worry. Oil and gas infrastructure is really blowing up and wreaking havoc all over the place. Near Philadelphia, there has been an oil spill in the Delaware River in Delaware County. Officials who were on the scene say that about a thousand gallons of crude spilled into the water, the result of a broken pipe near Monroe Energy. And interestingly, that oil pipeline was located right on the river. It's the second oil spill in less than a week in the same area. The U.S. Coast Guard is cleaning up the spill, and who pays for the Coast Guard? Oh yeah, you do. Of course, these accidents are nothing new. A recent AP investigation found North Dakota has had about 300 oil spills in the last two years, but North Dakota state officials did not inform the public. State regulators say they're reconsidering the threshold for reporting spills to the public. That was after AP revealed a massive spill in northwestern North Dakota in October that they had kept absolutely quiet for nearly two weeks. Meanwhile, the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board has called for federal regulators to take more aggressive steps to protect the public and the environment from oil spills and fires from trains. The oil industry is shipping ever more oil and gas via our railways, but the NTSB says regulations are not keeping up with the boom in U.S. oil and gas production. And wasn't there also an oil train car dangling precariously over the Schuylkill River near Philadelphia just last week? Yep. And once again, it bears repeating with all these natural gas explosions and oil spills that there hasn't been a single explosion or death at a solar plant or a wind farm for years on end. For much more on those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Download us on iTunes, listen to us via Stitcher or TuneIn, like us on the Facebook, and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. And oh yeah, stop by Bradblog and help us celebrate our 10-year anniversary of course, without the food poisoning. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. Well, it's sailing up my dirty stream. Still I love it and I'll dream that someday, though maybe not this year, 
my Hudson River and my country will run clear. A nice tribute to Pete Seeger there. Indeed. Uh, Desi Doyen, uh, that uh, Obama didn't mention Keystone in the State of the Union. A good thing or not? I'd say we don't know yet. Jury's still out. Oh, get off that fence, Desi Doyen. (laughs) My thanks to Joe Rome of Climate Progress. Of course, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to G, our soundboard operator. Uh, Stay tuned for John uh, John Wiener in the 4 o'clock report. He'll have more on Pete Seeger, and David Cole will join him on Edward Snowden. Until next time, you can find me at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America.